0: everyone Daniel McCormack here I'm an economist on from Macquarie Asset Management and I'm joined today on our podcast by Hayden Skilling who's our global economist based in Sydney Hayden w- welcome to the podcast Thanks Daniel appreciate it happy to be here Late last year you released your Global Economic and Market Outlook it was a very comprehensive 90 something page document to kick us off Could you summarise your key views on the economic outlook and markets in in perhaps five quick points? And I understand a bit of time has passed between uh, now and when you wrote that note. So if you want to just touch on how your views may have changed uh, in, in that period, please feel free to do so as well. Yeah, sure, Daniel. So I suppose at a very
1: high level, the first main point I would make is that global growth is expected to slow through 2022 compared to 2021. But we still expect growth to remain above its historical average. You know buffeted by you know economic reopening and and macro policy that remains supportive but that growth is expected to be uneven both throughout the year and across economies so we expect the growth to be led by the us while china's likely to lag after leaving the world out of the covid recession the the second point would be that monetary policy is likely to diverge somewhat across the major economies uh, the US is likely to raise the Fed funds rate this year. Um, at the time of our outlook, we expect three rate hikes. We now expect five. Um, and we also expect the Fed to begin to reduce the size of its balance sheet, while at the same time, China has just embarked on a new policy easing cycle. So that's where we're getting some divergence there. The third point, similarly, is that... Um, Fiscal policy is likely to be gradually removed. So the fiscal support that was in place throughout the pandemic is likely to be gradually removed uh, as those sort of discretionary policies that were related to the pandemic uh, wound back. But I suppose it's also important to note at the same time that while fiscal policy will become less accommodative, it's still expected to be reasonably accommodative by historical standards. The fourth point would be that we expect inflation to fall from current levels, and that's as a range of the factors that pushed inflation up in sort of 2021 and early 2022 subside, and also as that monetary policy tightening takes place. Um, again, also worth noting, we can talk about this more later, but uh, some countries are likely to struggle to get inflation back towards target this year, and so that's, that's why we expect that monetary policy tightening. And then and the fifth point I'd make relates to markets. So. In terms of bonds, we expect long-term yields to push modestly higher over 2022 alongside that gradual monetary policy tightening. And in terms of equity markets, I mean, we expect equity markets to remain volatile this year and that they'll face some headwinds from tighter monetary policy, as we've seen sort of since the beginning of this year. Uh, But more generally, we expect them to push a little bit higher over the remainder of the year, supported by robust global growth.
0: Got it. And... What do you think are the two or three biggest risks to that outlook for global growth at the moment?
1: Yeah, it's it's a good question. In in our outlook, we highlighted two key risks to the global economy over 2022. So the first one is something that's been sort of present in our everyday lives for the past two years, and that's COVID. Um, And while Omicron looks like it could be the beginning of COVID becoming endemic, Know with less severe health outcomes and perhaps a smaller impact on the global economy. We're always cognizant of the fact that there remains a risk of another adverse mutation that has more severe health outcomes and also requires, you know, more lockdowns and affects the economy to a greater extent than Omicron has. Uh, in terms of the second key risk, I mean, we've been characterizing central banks to some extent as being behind the curve. Uh, and they may have to hike quite a lot to get inflation under control, uh, which, which could potentially induce a recession. So you know, in recent history, central banks have been preemptive, which has allowed them to move gradually in terms of raising policy rates to head off inflation. But a few central banks abandoned that notion of preemption in 2020, and they waited until inflation was above target and full employment was reached. So they no longer have
0: much scope to move gradually. Got it. I mean, every downturn's interesting, isn't it? You learn something new in each downturn, and I, I never thought I'd learn as much about viruses as I have over the last couple of years or so. Um, but um, an economist has, it, has its burden, so to speak. Um, okay, and, and what do you think, um, which economies around the world have the biggest upside risks to growth? Yeah,
1: it's,
0: it's a good question
1: and, and one where my answer is probably different to what it would have been if you'd asked me two months ago. So at the time of our 2022 outlook, I probably would have pointed to the Eurozone, um, given that our forecasts there were for relatively modest growth compared to a bunch of other forecasters. Um, but at, the, at that time, we also highlighted that there were some downside risks, which was kind of constraining our central outlook. And, and two months on, we've seen that energy prices are still elevated, um, supply constraints are you know, quite present, and now monetary policy tightening in Europe is being priced in. So those upside risks to growth are probably diminishing. So now I would probably say that China has has risks more skewed to the upside than a bunch of other places, particularly given that expectations for Chinese growth have really started to be peered back over the past couple of months as the activity data has weakened into 2022 and as sporadic COVID outbreaks have you know, weighed on activity and entailed uh, social distancing restrictions being implemented. Now, over, over those past couple of months, our conviction that policymakers will do... Whatever it takes to defend a growth bottom line of at least 5% has increased. So our China economist expects policymakers to announce a growth target of around 5.5% in March. And the, the absolute bottom line that they would that de- defend would be 5%. Um, whereas we've seen we've seen a bunch of um, expectations be p- peered back from sort of the mid 5% range uh, to sort of mid, mid to high fours. Um, and, and one of the reasons that our conviction has increased on that call is that policymakers have already confirmed a pivot from regulatory tightening towards supporting growth in December. Um, and at the same time, price pressures look to have peaked, which should actually give policymakers more scope to act to support growth.
0: Yeah. So I think one question in markets is, is when does the Chinese housing market bottom you know from the sounds of that you 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 think a bottom in in the Chinese housing market is not far away is that is that fair to say Is in would it happen in in the first half of this year
1: yeah I mean that's a very good question I mean our, our China economist has been has been characterizing uh policy stimulus based on sort of a level system so he thinks of sort of conventional monetary and fiscal policy tools as being level two so that would include things like policy rate cuts um higher fiscal deficits etc and he also thinks that, that while we remain in that sort of traditional conventional policy stimulus setting that it's not enough for the policy, for the property market sorry to to bottom um, and so what, what he thinks is going to happen is that the property market will continue to slow over the first few months of this year Growth will come in below that sort of 5% range. So we're thinking something in the low 4% range for the first half of the year. And that will prompt policymakers to respond, you know, with sort of more unconventional policy. So easing those restrictions on property um, and local government debt, et cetera, to to turn the property market around. So if I had to say first half or second half, I would say that policy pivot will likely come mid-year and that the property market will bottom slightly after
0: that. Got it. Let's turn to inflation, which is certainly a hot topic uh, in markets at the moment. My read on, on your outlook uh, that you published at the end of last year is that you seem quite relaxed about the outlook for inflation. Is that, is that fair to say?
1: I think it's probably worth noting up front that you know, inflation has surprised everyone, policymakers, markets and analysts to the upside over the last few months. And in contrast to when inflation first spiked, um, it, it's no longer a US phenomenon with, with CPI inflation actually above target in, in a bunch of countries. Um, now, now, one of the things that we've been saying for a long time now is that some of that increase is clearly transitory, which is some language that the Fed has moved away from. But you know, some of it's been driven by sharp energy price rises, some of it's... To do with supply chain constraints and some of it also relates to a switch from services consumption to goods consumption as Covid shut down certain parts of the economy. Um, so, so you're right we still believe that those so-called transitory factors will abate and that inflation will come down from where it currently is um, but that's likely to occur more over the second half of the year. Um, In terms of any evidence that's happening, I mean, we have seen some evidence in the US that spending is beginning to rotate out of goods and back into services. And there is some really early evidence that supply chain pressures may have reached their peak. Um, But at the same time, I mean, our concern over inflation has probably increased because uh, price increases have broadened out beyond the initial components of the CPI or items that were most significantly affected by pandemic related distortions um, so I mean I suppose I would still say that we're, we're pretty confident that inflation will come down and that's partly because the policy response will be different to what it was say in the 70s where policymakers are going to be pretty keen to get to keep a lid on inflation um, and and that's going to drive inflation back down towards target. But the key question there is, you know, how long does it take and how much do policymakers have to do?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think something that perhaps some people are asking or markets are thinking about is, has the fundamental inflation dynamic changed globally? So, for example, you know, over the last 20 or 30 years, it's been really benign, right? You know, there's been a lot of disinflationary forces in the world. Inflation has been very well behaved despite a lot of policy stimulus at different points along the way. Um, and that's, of course, a very different dynamic to the 70s that you mentioned where, you know, you had inflation expectations rising and you had this sort of self-reinforcing dynamic, dynamic take hold. I mean, do you, do you think that there's well, – what possibility would you put on? What probability would you assign to the sort of inflation dynamic having having changed in any sort of serious or, or structural way you know, because of COVID or over the last few years in general? Do you think that's a fairly low probability? I mean, it's a very good question.
1: And it's one that we sometimes get asked. I mean, some people point to sort of de-globalization as perhaps one reason why that might be happening. Um, and I suppose in terms of globalization, in terms of global trade to GDP, that's actually stabilized for about a decade now. So... think most of the globalization already happened before then so I probably wouldn't put too much weight on that argument but you make a good point about inflation expectations so I mean a lot of people have lived through a low inflation environment for most of their lives or at least the last couple of decades And, and you know you kind of get into your mind that inflation will always remain low and what we've seen now is that there are these sort of speed limit effects where it's possible that. The supply side of the economy can be constrained while demand is very strong and and that pushes up prices and so what we've seen is you know survey-based expectations of inflation have moved up quite a bit market-based expectations of uh, market-based versions of um inflation expectations have moved up quite a bit as well so i suspect that it's possible that central banks you know, won't find themselves dealing with as much disinflation. You know, we've had the Bank of Japan and the ECB struggling for a very long time with very low inflation. We've had a bunch of other smaller central banks struggling with below-target inflation. And I think maybe that the likelihood that they deal with that now has, has fallen as a result of the pandemic. But I don't think that we're now in this sort of environment where central banks are going to be dealing with inflation, you know, 3 4 5% for an extended period.
0: Yeah, well, they're certainly they're certainly trying to address the the issue right at the moment. That that seems pretty clear, and that should have a knock on effect, uh, not just to inflation, but but inflation expectations as well. So so hopefully that means that a you know a sort of more challenging dynamic doesn't take hold. Let's let's shift gears a bit and let's turn turn to markets. Um, so you know the Fed is clearly increasing its, its policy rate now, and many people are expecting sort of four or even five rate. Increases this year, uh, and some people believe that bonds could, as a result of that, have a have a challenging year. Although over the second half of last year, they didn't really respond very much to the pull forward in in tightening expectations. I understand you've done quite a bit of work looking at the fair value for the ten year, and you suggest that it may not be far off where it is now. Could, could you explain your reasoning on that? Yeah, sure. So I mean, we've
1: done quite a bit of work
0: on this, especially price of the
1: pandemic in terms of how we think about it. Um, some of the stuff we've looked at are considering the behavior of global savings and investment and we've also looked at sort of different ways that we can decompose the yield curve in terms of you know, thinking about a real yield and inflation compensation. Um, but at the moment, sort of our preferred approach primarily because of its simplicity is is to think of the 10-year yield as an average of the expected policy rate over the next 10 years plus some sort of term premium, which could be positive or negative. And that broadly captures you know, supply and demand factors affecting the longer end of the yield curve. So I mean, we, we put out a note uh, probably a couple of months ago now where, where we assume sort of some scenarios for the Fed. And an indicative scenario might be that the Fed manages to engineer a, a soft landing to the economy. So in that scenario, the Fed would gradually hike through to sort of 2024, maybe early 2025 with the Fed funds rate reaching neutral by that time. So the estimate of neutral is currently 2.5%. And then the, the Fed funds rate remains stable thereafter. So if we, if we take the sort of average of what that profile would entail, you get a, an average policy rate of a little over 10%, uh, sorry, a little over 2% over the next 10 years. Um, so to, to that, we would have to add a, a term premium, which is obviously a significant source of uncertainty um it's estimated to have been negative in recent years but but we suspect that sort of balance sheet runoff means that it probably goes towards zero or perhaps modestly into positive territory so so based on if you add those two components together you're probably talking a ten year yield in the vicinity of sort of two and a quarter perhaps two and a half percent as a pretty good central estimate and you know that's not too far off what we're currently seeing I think the ten year is currently just under two percent
0: yeah got it and so you're kind of of the view that the peak in the policy rate that the, the sort of tightening cycle peak uh, will be lower than previous peaks is that is that right
1: yeah i mean it's a good question as well definitely think that it's going to be lower than what we saw prior to the GFC. Um, But we think the policy rates will move higher than they moved in late 2018. So I think our current expectations are for five rate hikes this year and for a further four rate hikes next year. So that would take the Fed funds rate, I think, to uh, 225 to 250 as as the range. Um, I mean, there there is quite a lot of uncertainty around that. So it's possible that the economy slows much more sharply than we expect and that the fed only gets rates to sort of one and a half percent or it's also equally possible that you know inflation remains elevated the underlying economic growth remains robust and that the fed needs to move rates you know to three three and a half percent which would be well above the current estimate of neutral yeah it. um
0: let's turn, turn to let's turn to equities um certainly being a bit more volatile since, since the start of the year than most people were expecting. What impact do you think the Fed tightening will have on equities this year? And will this year be, be another year of positive returns? Yeah, so, I mean, as a
1: general rule, we sort of think of US equities as moving closely
0: with growth and
1: global growth driving a lot of that US equity cycle. Um, and given that we still expect both US growth and global growth to be resilient this year, we think the most likely outcome is that, Equities you know, recover from the, the decline that they saw over the earlier part of the year, which has largely occurred, and that they finished the year higher than they are now. So of course, as the economic cycle matures and, and policy settings become less stimulatory, that's going to act as a headwind for earnings multiples. Um, so that means that the upside to the equity market largely comes through that sort of strong growth backdrop and stronger corporate profitability. So, so you know, we expect more volatility in equity markets consistent with what we've seen earlier this year and for returns to be significantly lower perhaps than they were in 2020 and 2021 um but still to to be in positive territory
0: yeah right but but certainly you know more earnings driven than than in prior years where where the increase in the multiple played played a big role and and exactly i assume the answer to that is yes and and could that mean then there's a bit more differentiation sort of by sector and by company you know those companies and sectors that do well from an earnings perspective will, will do well those that don't may may struggle a little bit more than in the past so we have a bit more divergence <laughs> so i don't want to put words in your mouth but but would that be your view no but I, but I would agree with that yeah exactly yeah, yeah. okay okay great all right, um, let's let's wrap up with perhaps a a, a sort of you know an interesting or, or controversial kind of question. What would be your two or three strongest counter consensus calls uh, for this year, either in markets or for economies? Yeah. Okay.
1: So, I mean. A lot of the stuff that we've talked about thus far has been sort of broadly in line with you know what what the markets or consensus would be expecting. So um, most analysts expect global growth to slow in 2022 relative to 2021, but to remain above average. And you know the, the expectation in the market is also that the federal hikes sort of four to five times over the course of 2022. The some other central banks like the Bank of Japan might remain on hold, and China will be easing policy. Um, but sort of as I alluded to earlier, one area we would potentially differ from consensus is our view on, on Chinese growth. So others have become increasingly bearish on China, as I, as I noted before, as housing has weighed on the economy. Um, and we think basically that policymakers will do whatever it takes to defend that growth bottom line of 5%, whereas a lot of the expectations, including from the IMF, have recently been revised Below five percent, so I think that view is probably a little bit counter-consensus. Um, in terms of another major difference, probably relates to one of our market, uh, sorry, our commodity price projections. So, oil prices have risen this year quite sharply on on supply concerns and on geopolitical tensions to reach new post twenty fourteen highs, um, but. We expect that even though demand should continue to grow as economic reopening occurs um, and that sort of mobility increases, we expect that supply, especially coming from the US, should actually increase more sharply, which will uh, drive oil prices lower and quite considerably lower over the second half of this year. And um, I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot of volatility in that market, but but that's our general view, and I think it's reasonably counter consensus. And also, it's it's also worth pointing out that, that view is another factor behind why we think that inflation should subside over this year. So, energy prices have driven a lot of that increase, and as sort of the as the oil price comes down, headline
0: inflation should come off as well. Fantastic. Super interesting. Thanks, Hayden. I mean, I think they definitely are counter-consensus calls for sure. That's it for our podcast for today. Thank you very much, Hayden, for joining us. Always very interesting to discuss global macro. And to the audience, if you would like to get access to Hayden's research, please just reach out to your salesperson or relationship manager. Uh, he produces some, some very interesting uh analytical materials and has some great charts in his in his papers i've been following them for for quite some time so again if you would like access please please just reach out um otherwise just thanks very much to everybody uh from listening from us at Macquarie goodbye
2: This recording is intended for financial professionals and institutional investors only. This is not intended for use with the general public. The views expressed in this podcast represent those of the speaker and are subject to change. Nothing presented should be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security or follow any investment technique or strategy and does not constitute advice, an advertisement, an invitation, a confirmation, an offer or a solicitation to engage in any investment activity or an offer of any banking or financial service. Throughout this presentation, various securities and companies are referenced. Examples given are for illustrative purposes only and were not chosen based on performance. This is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. All examples herein are for illustrative purposes only, and there can be no assurance that any particular investment objectives will be realized or any investment strategy seeking to achieve such objective will be successful. Past performance is not a reliable indication of future performance. Before acting on any information, you should consider the appropriateness of it with regard to your particular objectives, financial situation and needs, and seek advice. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to the accuracy or completeness of the information, opinions, and conclusions presented. In preparing this recording, Reliance has been placed without independent verification on the accuracy and the completeness of all information available from external sources. Macquarie Asset Management is the marketing name for the Asset Management Division of Macquarie Group investment products and advisory services are distributed and offered by and referred through affiliates which include delaware distributors lp a registered broker dealer and member of the financial industry regulatory authority and macquarie investment management business trust a securities and exchange commission registered investment advisor investment advisory services are provided by a series of macquarie investment management business trusts Other than Macquarie Bank Limited, none of the entities noted in this podcast are authorized deposit-taking institutions for the purposes of the Banking Act of 1959 from the Commonwealth of Australia. The obligations of these entities do not represent deposits or other liabilities of Macquarie Bank Limited. Macquarie Bank Limited does not guarantee or otherwise provide assurance in respect of the obligations of these entities unless noted otherwise.